Let's go ahead and take our Bibles today and turn over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians and turn to chapter 5. We're going to go ahead and um, we'll get started there in just a moment. But uh, we're going to, um, I'm going to start a, um, well, it's just going to be a real mini-series. This week and next week probably. We're going to talk about, if we can put that up on the screen if you've got it. The road that leads to thankfulness. The road that leads to thankfulness. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'll give you a couple of des- couple of spots on the road uh, to thankfulness. But today, I'm really, uh, I'm, all I'm going to do is introduce it, okay? I'm going to take some time to introduce it. I was telling the singles class, I had this whole message outlined, ready to go. And when I came in this morning, as I was coming in, I thought, wow, I, I think I'm just going to, I felt like I just need to focus on the introduction. So the introduction is a whole message now, okay? And this series will go probably for six months now. No, I'm teasing. But anyway, the introduction legitimately, it's, it's, it is just today. So I'm going to share with you the introduction and uh, see if we can't, um, you know, learn something today and, and kind of prepare ourselves and ready ourselves even for what's ahead here on the road that leads to thankfulness. And we're in the season, aren't we? This is the time of year that we're in. I mean, more than any other time of the year, we're reminded to be thankful, aren't we? And we've got, thank, we got Thanksgiving taking place right now. And uh, it was William Bradford who would encourage those early settlers to express their gratitude for God's goodness and grace. He said, Inasmuch as the great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and insomuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from the pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, he says, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of nine and twelve in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th, of the year of our Lord, 1,623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pilgrim, on pilgrim Rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. Now that wasn't me just reading bad, okay? That's how they spoke back then, all right? <clears throat> but isn't that something? All those years ago. And now today, here we are in 2019 celebrating the same holiday, if you will. That's a little bit different today than it was then, obviously. But nonetheless, that's where we find the tradition rooted. And again, we have a national celebration of Thanksgiving. And I'm glad we do. I think that's a wonderful thing. In churches across America... There's going to be sermons that are preached and lessons that are taught on this issue, this topic, this theme. Around our nation, news outlets and morning programs and local municipalities will focus on Thanksgiving. Now mind you, each year, less and less on being thankful to God. But still, thankfulness uh, nonetheless. And I'm glad. We need to be thankful, don't we? We need to be thankful. So how important is this spirit or attitude of thankfulness and gratitude? I mean, is it essential, especially to the believer? I mean, I think it's extremely essential to the believer, more than anyone else even. This attitude of gratitude, this this spirit of thankfulness. Because see, thankfulness is God's will for you, and thankfulness is God's will for my life. Now, look, if you would, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, and we probably are already there in the chapter, but notice verse 18, we have a very uh, powerful verse. It says, in everything, give what? Okay, let's do that again. In everything, give? Oh, boy. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, we understand and we know that the book of 1 Thessalonians was written to the believers in Thessalonica. And so he's writing to believers and he's letting them know that this attitude of gratitude, this spirit of thankfulness is his will for their life. In everything, he says, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The Bible makes it abundantly clear then that no one can be in the will of God unless they are thankful. 
I, you know, in a Time Magazine article written by Jack Lynchy on March the 24th, 2015, he tells about a 1,000-pound bomb that was unearthed in southeast London. A 1,000-pound bomb. They just found it. They ran into it. A construction vehicle discovered the device. It was buried, and, and they, they, they ran into it. As a result of, of that particular device being found, they, they evacuated 1,200 homes in the area. The five-foot-long bomb, which was buried six to nine feet below the ground, was safely diffused, and it was removed. Whew, right? Whew. Now, in Southwark, uh, South uh, in that area, it had been heavily bombed during World War II, and unfortunately, it seems, they continued to discover, decades after the war, mind you, numbers and numbers of, of, of these types of bombs. I want you to understand this morning, we have unearthed a real bombshell. You mean, you mean I have to be thankful if I intend to be in the will of God? Yes. It's funny, isn't it? You know, we kind of we define what the will of God is for our own lives. Now, again, we understand that God defines what his will for our life is in the word of God. However, the truth is, is that you and I, we're pretty good at defining what we believe God would have us to do with our life, what we believe God in, uh, d- demands of us, what, what we believe God expects of us. And so, in a sense, we kind of come to the conclusion of what God should expect of us. Therefore, I know what his will for me is. I already, I understand that. I, me and God have an understanding but unfortunately, the Bible says it's up to him. He determines and he di- dictates and he decides what the will of God is for your life and mine. And may I say that that is found and it is, is, is described in the word of God. And in this particular passage in the book of 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we learn a very valuable, important truth. We get a bombshell of, of, a, of a truth. And it's simply this, that one cannot be in the will of God unless they are thankful in everything. Wow. I don't know how that affects you, but that, that really is difficult for me to wrap my mind around to some degree. I mean, there are some things that I'm extremely thankful for, and there are some things that's really easy to be thankful for. I mean, I have a wonderful wife and wonderful children. I've got a home where I'm warm. I have a bed where I can sleep. I, I've got a roof over my head. I've got a car that, 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 at least I have a car that runs. Some of you don't. I've been there, remember? Isn't it nice when you got one that runs? My point being is, is there are things that are easy to be thankful for, but there are some things that aren't so easy. But see, God doesn't give us the right to choose what we'll be thankful for and what we won't be thankful for. God's word makes it abundantly clear here in this particular passage, this bombshell of a passage. He makes it clear that we can't be right with him. We can't be in the center of his will if we're not thankful. In everything. So this morning... I want to take a look at some of these things. I just want to look at being thankful in the Bible. So let's take a look at that for just a minute. Throughout the scriptures, we are instructed to be thankful, aren't we? We are. Right here in just that one verse, it debunks anything we may have thought, any, any right we had to determining for ourselves what, what we should be thankful for and what we shouldn't be. But the Bible continues to re in, to, 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 to reinforce this truth. Take your Bible, look over at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Just look at a couple verses here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 to begin with. I mean, this isn't the only verse. First Thessalonians isn't the only verse that addresses thankfulness in the Bible. Notice in Colossians 3, 15. The Bible says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And whatsoever ye do, verse 17, notice this verse, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wow, there's a lot of thankfulness going on here in the passage. Turn if you would to Colossians 4. Verse 
2 now. Chapter 4, verse 2 of the same book. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Do you know where to be thankful in God's presence? In the book of Psalm, chapter 100, verse 4, the Bible says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. I mean, every time we enter the house of God, every time we get on our knees, every time that we take time to enter into his presence through prayer, the Bible tells us, you be thankful, you be thankful, you be thankful. Can I tell you that a heart that's not thankful is going to find it very difficult to get into the presence of God? Be thankful for God's person, who he is. In Psalm 106, verse 1, the Bible says, Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. He is good, he says. You say, well, I believe he's good, but right now I'm struggling with that. Is he good or isn't he? Hey, I'm not saying you don't have a right to be uh, uh, feeling difficulty in your life or conflict in your heart. You lose a loved one or you go through a difficult time or you're in the midst of a financial battle or struggle or relational issue. May I say it can be very taxing. It can be very difficult. But should we ever question God's goodness? No. We ought to be thankful for the God that loved us enough to die for us on Calvary and pay for our sin and give us a home in heaven first. We ought to be grateful. We ought to be grateful that he exists at all. By the way, if he didn't create you, you wouldn't even be here. Nor would I. See, we need to be thankful in God's presence. We need to be thankful for God's person. We need to be thankful for God's provision in our lives. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. All the way in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's look at verses 4 through 5. <clears throat> For every creature of God is good. Now again, understand that this passage could be born out of a passage over there in the book of Acts. When, remember when Peter, he's seeing the animals going up and down that, sheep of, uh, that, 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 that uh, sheet, if you will, so to speak, coming down from heaven and going back up, coming down. And he notices all these different animals there in there. And, and, and the Lord's saying, they're all good. They're, they're all good. And, and Peter's like, no, they're not good. They're not good. Because in the Jewish faith, in the Jewish religion, there were some animals that were unclean. And therefore, they were unable to eat them. They were unable to partake of them. And so God's trying to show him now in the New Testament, we're no longer under the law, but we're in grace. And those very animals that you as a, a Jew under the law could not partake in, I want you to know they're good as long, as long as you thank me for them, as long as you're grateful to me for them. And now in Colossians, we see this restated in a sense. And and, in 1 Timothy 4, uh, 4, verse 4 and 5, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with what? Thanksgiving. Listen, I'll tell you what, don't do a disservice to your children by not praying over your meals. Don't teach them that the food isn't important. I remember Dr. Uh, uh, Brother Tony Hudson. We've had him here before for men's conferences. We've had him in our church in years past. And I remember him telling a little story how, how uh, certain preachers would come over and he'd say, listen, he said, you got to understand, we don't pray over our meals. We pray when mama brings the groceries in. <laughs> Just joking around he was. We just prayed one time and got it all over with. Just get all of them, put them all on the kitchen table. Before we put them all away, let's have a word of prayer over the food. Boom, we're set the rest of the time. I don't think that's really exactly what God's talking about here, okay? I'm not saying that, you know, you can't do some things a little different, but I mean, it's, listen, we get into the restaurant, it's not a matter of, uh, well, children, let's pray, and we drop our silverware and go, Lord, bless the food now, we pray, help us. All right. We shouldn't be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And he just simply tells us, you ought to be grateful and thankful for God's provision, whether it's our food, whether it's our clothing, whether it's, uh, whether it's a job, whatever it might be, we're to be thankful, we're to be grateful. We're just literally to be thankful for everything. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. We've already looked at 1 Thessalonians. In everything give thanks, but notice what the Bible says here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7.
The Bible says, be careful for nothing. Now, and now listen, I, I don't want to get too into this, and, but, but the bottom line is, is that we're not to be worrying. We're not to be fretting. We're, we're not to be so concerned about every situation and circumstance. Be careful for nothing. Instead, he says, instead, everything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So he's saying, listen, why are you worrying about situations at times you can't control? Why do you allow them to weigh so heavy on your life? Why do you allow them to, to totally consume your thoughts? You can't do anything about them. Now, if you can do something, and you know biblically and scripturally what you ought to be doing about it, then take steps to get that done. But, but, but there are times, and many times in our lives, when there are problems, there are circumstances, there are situations beyond our control, and we allow them to weigh so heavy on our shoulders that it steals our joy, and it even will remove our gratitude and thankfulness. And he says, listen, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. You go to God in prayer, and you take that situation, that circumstance to God, and you make sure that he knows, that you know, that he alone can fix it and handle it. And you go to him in thanksgiving. You go to him saying, I'm grateful that I not only have you there to bear the burden of this, but I'm thankful that you give me the opportunity to see you work in and through it. You say, I can't be thankful for some of those things in my life. I know it's not easy, but you can't be in the will of God unless you learn to be thankful in everything. Someone says, that's just unreasonable. Okay, then don't be thankful. I'm sure you'll feel better. Right? It won't help not to be thankful. It certainly doesn't help your attitude and outlook to be ungrateful. I don't, I don't think it does. Never helped mine, at least. I never felt better going, you know what? I hate this. I hate it. It's terrible. Well, I feel good right then. I'm feeling really good. No, I'm not. I'm miserable. God's trying to spare us the misery of an unthankful spirit, of an attitude of ingratitude. And he goes on to say, if you'll go to God this way, not being careful, not being so concerned, not allowing the things you can't control to control you, and you'll with thanksgiving go to him in prayer and be able to say, thank you, God, for the circumstance, for the opportunity to watch you work and to overcome this in your power, your strength. He says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, there's a prerequisite to the peace of God in the midst of circumstance. It's called thankfulness. You say, how can you be thankful for a horrible report from the doctor? Well, it's difficult maybe. But if you don't do it, one, you won't be in the will of God. And number two you'll never have peace. You'll never have it. You say, well, that's not right. Well, it goes to some other things we'll talk about in just a moment. But the truth is, is that God wants you to have peace in your life. He doesn't want you to be miserable. But you can't do that unless you're thankful. And unfortunately, and I don't say unfortunately, but for us, you have to be thankful in everything, he says. Now, that's not a teaching you hear, you know, I mean, you're all have, you have a right to be angry. You have a right to be mad. You have a right to be... Hmm, let's, let's find that here. Do you understand what I'm saying? The world's telling us you've got a right to be unhappy, unthankful, to express ingratitude. They know we're going to treat me like that. I ain't happy about it. I'm not thankful for nothing, buddy. What? Who's happy now? Who's unhappy now? And they're telling you what, biblically as believers, I, I'm, I'm just going to say this, um, ingratitude is a very bad look on anyone, especially a believer. It don't look good. We live in a generation which ingratitude is epidemic. Unthankfulness is epidemic. More and more, we're, we're confronted with those who have, are, are never happy, they're never content, because they just can't find it to, in themselves to be grateful. And worse, as a believer, they can't find it in Christ to be grateful. 
Because really, he's the one that ought to give us the grace to be thankful in everything. I understand why the world struggles to be thankful for a horrible report or for a bad situation. And let me tell you something, I'm not saying it's easy and I don't have it all figured out, but my friend, what I do know is what the Bible teaches and I know one thing, if I'm not thankful, I'll never have peace. I I don't have time to get into it, but I've been in spots in my life when I knew it was not a good situation and I had to come to the realization, God, thank you for this horrible situation, for the opportunity that it presents for me as a believer to reach others or to make an impact in lives or to somehow see you at work. Boy, that's a hard place to get to at times. But if I never got there, I would have never had peace. And I'd still be miserable, right? Or at least as long as that situation abounded. You say, I don't get it. You're not going to get it from just listening to me. You're not going to get it until you start listening to him. I just want to encourage you to draw nigh to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm struggling with being thankful and I'm going to need you to help me because right now I don't have a thankful bone in my body about this or this or this or this or about them or about it. You better be honest with God and start talking to him. You'll just be miserable if you don't get it handled though. I mean, what are some of the root causes of ingratitude then? Why is it that in America, it seems we're getting more, in, uh, more, more thankless, more, more ungrateful? What are some of those attitudes? I mean, what, what's transpiring? What's the root cause? Um, why, why does it seem that more and more our friends and our family are becoming negative and critical? Why is that? In 1860, the Lady Elgin was rammed by the Augusta And it sank in Lake Michigan near Evanston. Um, That's in Illinois, by the way. But a ministerial student, he was a a young man that was trying to be in the ministry, of course. And he was a, a fellow by the name of Edward Spencer. When he saw that accident take place there in that that in, 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 that, in that Lake Michigan, he found himself compelled to try to help and rescue as many as he possibly could. He himself was a pretty strong man. He had, he, he had, had exercised a lot. He was a, a healthy person. He knew how to swim, and he knew how to swim well. And he made his way out to that wreckage, and he pulled a survivor out of the water, and he brought him up onto the shore where others would grab, grab that survivor. He made his way back out again, and he made his way back out again, and he made his way back out again, and again, and again. saving a number of passengers. In the process, however, due to the extreme cold water, shock to his body, his health was permanently damaged. Some years later at his funeral, it was noted that there wasn't one of the people that he rescued that had ever thanked him. We're talking about back in the 1800s. I don't know about you, but I don't think it's gotten any better in this area of thankfulness. This may come as a a shock to some, but I want you to know ingratitude is pretty common today. It's not that uncommon, especially expressed. You know, gratitude that's being expressed is rare indeed. So why is this the case, and why does it seem to be escalating in our world today? What are some of the root causes of ingratitude? Well, let me give you three. Today, I'll refer to them as the three E's. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, for your leadership. Speak to our hearts and help us to understand the underlying cause of ingratitude. Some of the attitudes, outlooks that create and cause this negative spirit. Help us, Lord, because we want to be in the will of God. We want to be in the center of your will. We can only do that if we're thankful and grateful. Well, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Number one, what are some of the root causes of ingratitude? Envy. Envy. Now, when we think about envy, 
We're talking about people who suffer, uh, people who go through life obsessed by the advantages enjoyed by others. Okay, they're obsessed by the advantages enjoyed by others. They look out in the world and they see what others have. And they look at themselves and they see what they have. I want you to take your Bible, turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter 73. We find a man in the Bible who was guilty of this attitude. An attitude of envy. I'll tell you what, when you have an attitude of envy, you cannot be grateful nor can you be thankful because you just don't have what you believe you should. In the book of Psalm, chapter 73, we're going to read a number of verses, but it goes very quickly. Notice what it says in chapter 73 of the book of Psalm, a very large book in the center of your Bible. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Boy, we can see God is good to a nation, right? Boy, right off the bat, he recognizes the goodness of God toward Israel. Hold on. The attitude and the spirit of this particular passage changes rather abruptly. But as for me, ouch. Well, wait a second. I see how this is. First, we're looking at Israel. Now all we can see is what? Me. My. Okay, here it is now. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. I'm glad he was honest with God here. Because now he's going to help me. He's going to help you. By the way, you know that you can never help anybody else until you get honest with God. And the truth is, you, you can't even help yourself till you get honest with God. Notice this guy. He's getting honest now. He says, yeah, truly God is good to Israel. And even to the, such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked... By the way, the Bible says that the fool saith in his heart that there is no God. So I want you to understand here, he's looking at people who have want nothing to do with God, who even potentially don't even believe there is a God. And he's saying, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish. Those who didn't even believe in God, I was envious of. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like others men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They, they, they have more than heart could wish. Wow. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. You ever felt like this? I don't think there's a teenager that hasn't. I don't think there's a young person, young adult that hasn't. And honestly, there's probably not a person in the room at some point hasn't wondered, is it really worth serving God? He's being honest with us here. For all the day long have I, verse 14, been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I, well, hold on now. This guy, he looks out in the world with envy. He looks at those, those families out there that don't even go to church, that want nothing to do with God, that even claim to be atheistic, and he says, look at those cars they drive, and look at the house they live in, and look at the job he has, and look at the job she has, and look at the money they've got in their 401k, and look at their life and how settled it is and how good it is. Their children have good shoes on their feet, nice clothes on their back. They go to the best schools. I want to know what's wrong with me. I serve God, but they have all the good things. That's what he's saying. I'm busting my butt for God. What do I get out of it? A beat up old car. 
a house that needs repaired. What do I get? So he starts looking at what others have. And you know what he can't be now? Thankful. He just can't be thankful. Because he can't see anything good in his own life because all he sees is everything in someone else's life. It's funny how, it's funny, isn't it? You don't know you miss it until you, until, until you don't, I see, until you don't have it, right? You don't miss it until you have it, right? Whatever. You know what I'm saying. I mean, I got to give you something to think about. I'm explaining everything around here. But seriously, you didn't know you missed it till you had it, right? I mean, honestly, if you were born on a desert island, you wouldn't expect to have plumbing. Oh, how miserable they must have been back in the 1800s before we had bathrooms indoors. My grandma had, my grandma had one of those, port, uh, those potties outside. I still remember going and using it. I'm not that old either. I mean, but, but you didn't, you know what I'm saying? You, you don't, you start looking around, you start going, wow, they, they're lucky. Wow, it's so much better on that side of the fence. Boy, the grass is always greener over there, right? Envy, envy. People who suffer from envy, they go through life obsessed by the advantages enjoyed by others. Their, their desire to experience the same advantages causes resentment in their life. And that often leads to anger and inevitably unhappiness. They're miserable. See, jealousy will steal any chance that you have of being content and satisfied. When we compare what we don't have to what others do have, we reduce or even destroy our ability to appreciate the blessings that God has given us. Envy. That'll cause you to be ungrateful, huh? It'll cause me to be ungrateful. Number two, entitlement. Entitlement. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. Listen, I, I'll be honest with you. I think every young person in the room ought to have big dreams, and I think they ought to want some great things in their life. I don't think God's upset when a young person says, man, I, I want to be the best I can be in my field of study. I want to be the best I can be for this, and, and I want to make as much money as I possibly can here, and I want, to, I want to have a nice home for my family, and I want a nice car, and I want nice things. I, I don't know that God's upset with that. The, he's upset with it when we say all of those things, but never, I just want to be my best for him. See, when we neglect God, when we leave him out of the equation, that's when it's a problem. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't think it's wrong if you make 10 bucks an hour to want to make 15. I don't think that's necessarily envy because you want to better yourself and your family. I don't believe that either. Don't misunderstand what I'm expressing and saying here. I'm telling you this, though. If you get consumed with what other people have and you can't be grateful for what you do have, my friend, you've crossed the line. And you're no longer in the will of God. That's a hard place to be, but, but we got to understand what God's expectation is. He wants us to be thankful in all things, not just for his good, but for our own good. And boy, I'll tell you what, envy will bring that upon us. We just can't be thankful when all we can see is the good others have and we feel that we're, being, we're missing out on it. Uh, entitlement kind of goes along with it as well. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 13. Now, entitlement has to do with those who feel they deserve certain privileges, benefits, or advantages. They feel they deserve it. 2 Samuel chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar. And Adnan, the son of, of David, loved her. It was a, a, a half-sister. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar. Can I tell you, I watch teenagers fall into that trap all the time. So vexed. You say, what's he talking about? Oh, 
I wish I could play football, but I just want to be with her. Oh, just to look at her across the auditorium. Oh, she's a goddess. Look at how she walks. Oh, they go home and all they can think about is her. All she can think about is him. If only till the next time I can hear his voice. Oh, I hope he texts me. Vexed. Totally vexed, totally overwhelmed and consumed with. This is what happened here. By the way, that is a dangerous place to be in our lives with anyone or anything outside of him being addicted to him. You better be careful because that can cause you to make bad decisions. We're going to see a man that made a horrible decision as a result. And Amnon, verse 2, chapter 2 Samuel 13, verse 2, Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. Uh, I hope so. I'd like to believe that. Verse 3, but Amnon had a friend. Boy, friends are wonderful unless they're the wrong friends. And Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. So somehow he's related. Cousins, buddies, friends. And the Bible says, and Jonadab was a very subtle man. We see that word subtle back in Genesis. Describing Satan himself. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, we know they concoct this whole deal. It's unbelievable. I, I want you to see how this goes down. Look at verse 11 real quick. What's going to happen is that Amnon is going to, is, is going to te, excuse me, that uh, Abinadab is going to tell Amnon, hey, listen, you're the king's son, right? Yeah. Do you know as the king's son, if you want something, you should have it. Are you kidding me? You're going to deny yourself that pleasure even though you're the king's son? You deserve that. You have a right to that. You know what he did? He got to believe and he was entitled to it. And he had every right to it. He's right. I'm the king's son. That's right. And what I want, I get. And I deserve it too. Entitlement. In verse 13, chapter 13, verse 11, and when she had brought them unto him to eat, concocts a whole plan to get her alone. I'm sick. I'm sick. Dad, Dad. Send my sister down here to, to make me food and to serve me because I'm so sick. And David allowed it to go on and down she goes. And when she brought them unto him to eat, he took hold of her and said unto her, Come lie with me, my sister. And she asked him, Nay, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing ought to be done in Israel. Do not thou this folly. And I, whither shall I cause my shame to go? And as for thee... Thou shalt be as one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, speak unto the king, for he'll not withhold me from thee. Talk to dad. He'll work it out. Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice. You want to know why? Because he felt he was entitled. I don't need dad's approval. I don't need anybody's. I deserve this. I, it, I have every right to this. And he was stronger than her, forced her, and lay with her. Do you know people who believe they deserve certain privileges, benefits, or advantages tend to be extremely selfish and self-centered? Do you know that? You find that they're dissatisfied when they don't get what they feel they deserve. See, entitlement often leads to disappointment and dissatisfaction, which almost always means ungrateful and unthankful, let's be honest. Entitlement. Boy, an attitude of entitlement will steal your spirit of thankfulness. I deserve this. And I don't know why I'm not getting it. Let me just give you the third one very quickly. Expectation. 
expectation. Again, these all kind of dovetail together. They work together. But when we consider these elements and we, we ask ourselves, why is it that we're unthankful? What is the root cause of ingratitude? We can look at just these three simple things, and I'm sure we could maybe come up with more, but envy, entitlement, and finally, expectation. Because of time, I'm not going to have you turn to the passage, but I want you to recall Jonah. The Bible tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and, and God had told him to go to Nineveh, and he had told him this great city is in need, and I want you to go there, and I want you to preach repentance to them, and I want you to give them the truth. And boy, I'll tell you what, what was Jonah's response? Uh-uh. I ain't going. You want to know why? Because he had a problem with that nation. He had a problem with that city, and he had a problem with those people. He wasn't going to give, he didn't even want God to save them. He wanted God to destroy them. His expectation was, hey, listen, Israel's God's people. You step outside of Israel, why would you do anything good for them anyway? It doesn't even make sense to me. Aren't you glad that God doesn't have to make sense to us sometimes? We need to make sense with him. Nonetheless, he has this expectation about what should happen and how they should be treated and what their end should be. But God, he uh, doesn't see it quite like Jonah does. Puts him in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. Finally, he has the whale go up on shore and... And out came Jonah. He imagine he had to be a sight for sore eyes. He probably had some sore eyes too. So he goes and he preaches repentance. But then he gets upset because God then removes his hand of judgment and spares the city. We find him now whining and complaining and moaning and groaning. He's not thankful. He's not grateful for the fact that God has spared a city. No, he had some other expectations. He had some other desires. He believed he knew better than God even. Why, God? Why? We've never been there, have we? Can I tell you, it's very difficult to be thankful when we're asking that question. And listen, I'm not saying that we may not come across times in our lives where we have to go to God honestly and say, God, I'm not getting it and I want to try to understand it. You don't owe me an explanation, but I would be very pleased if you gave me one. But if you don't, I'll still love you. And I'll still be able to say, thank you, God. That's what he wants from us. So I don't want to serve a God like that. Well, then serve the other one. There's only two. His name's Satan. Matter of fact, he's called the destroyer. You know Satan, he's a thief. Cometh but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, the Bible says. That's what he wants for you. But the Lord Jesus wants you to have life, and life more abundantly. I think I'll choose Jesus anyway. So when expectations like these go unmet... Resentment and anger surface, making it pretty difficult and even impossible to be thankful. See, envy, entitlement, expectation. These three mindsets will cause us to be ungrateful and unthankful. So how do we get back on the road that leads to thankfulness? Next week, we're going to address that. We're going to, we ask the question and we're going to look at this. We're going to try to find out how we get back on the road that leads to thankfulness. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. On November the 4th, 2010, Eunice Sanborn became the world's oldest living person. Again, it's been a number of years ago, but she became the world's oldest person at that point. She celebrated her 114th birthday in July, on July the 20th, 2010. In her church, First Baptist in Jacksonville, Texas. 
Eunice says that she not only loves everything about her life, but she also has no complaints. 114 years old at that point. If she had wanted to complain, I'm sure she'd have had a number of reasons, a number of things she could have complained about over the course of 114 years. Yet this lady had demonstrated that complaining is a choice. And you know what else is a choice? Being thankful. Don't blame your circumstances for an attitude of ingratitude. Don't blame your attitude of of unthankfulness or your spirit of unthankfulness on a person other than yourself. When it's all said and done, we choose to be thankful or not. Oh, I understand. Troubles will come in our lives and they will rock our world, but we have to find our equilibrium. We have to recalibrate real fast because there isn't anything that looks uglier on a person than ingratitude. And as a believer, we can't afford that. And if you're lost today without Christ, if you've never received Jesus into your life, if there's never been a time and place when you recognize that the God of heaven not only created the universe, but he sent his son Jesus to die for you on a cross, and you've never come to the place where you recognize yourself as a sinner deserving punishment, but he who is perfect says, I'm willing to forgive and save you if you'll only trust and believe on me. And if you've never done that, you've never said, you're right, I'm that sinner, and you're that Savior, and I need you, Jesus. I receive you and I accept you into my life right now. Forgive me and save me and come into my life. I need you. I need you in this life, and I need you to take me safely to the next, into your presence. He'll do that for you. You may not have anything that you're grateful for right now, but I can tell you this. If you'll trust and receive Christ, you'll have something to be grateful for the rest of your life and into eternity. Won't you trust him today? Won't you receive him? You say, well, I just can't. I'm not happy with God. I'm angry at God. I'm just going to be honest with you. Sounds to me then like you might be smitten by one of the three E's. Sounds to me like you might just have a little envy in your life. Maybe a little entitlement. Maybe a little expectation that's way off kilter. Because see, God doesn't owe you good. He's not the one who brought sin into the world. We did. The truth is, he owes us nothing. But think about every good thing in your life. Anything good that you've ever experienced in your life. Can I tell you, you can only point one direction. And it's up. It's him who gave it to you. Anything bad in your life, I can almost guarantee you this, been caused by one of two reasons. Either one, your own horrible choices, or two, the father of darkness, devil. He wants you to be destroyed. He doesn't ever want you to find hope. He doesn't want you to know the light. He doesn't want you to know Jesus Christ. He wants you to die, and he wants you to squirm in a place called hell in the midst of a fiery furnace for eternity. He wants nothing good for you. Don't let him lie to you and tell you that God is bad because you've endured some bad things in your life. The only good thing you've got going for you is that you've got a God that still loves you and he's willing to receive and accept you into, your, into his kingdom and into his presence. He will love on you like no parent has ever loved you. He'll love on you like no child has ever loved you. And he does love you. Give him a chance to prove it by accepting and receiving him as your savior today even. Throw aside all those lies and just realize he created you. And I, I, he, he deserves my love and my gratitude. And I want to accept him because I know he's the only good thing. Or he's the best thing I've got going. And he is. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your goodness in our life. And we just pray that you'd bless us and help us. Again, Lord, we need you. We, we today have just looked at some reasons or root causes for an attitude of, ungra- of, of ungratefulness. And the, the truth is, Lord, is that we can't be in the, the center of your will if we're not obeying you by being thankful. And Lord, help us to, to root out these, these causes of, of bitterness in our life, these root causes of un- ingratitude and unthankfulness. And Lord, help us to be able to look you in the eye and tell you we love you and we thank you. 
You're so good to us. Father, help us to be thankful. It'll change our lives. It'll change our families. It'll change our outlook and our world we live in. Boy, if more people were thankful, how our world would be different. Help us, Lord, to obey your word and be in the center of your will. We'll thank you. Are you lost today without Christ? You know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. If you don't have that settled in just a moment, the music's going to play. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to ask you, even beg you, step out of that aisle and come forward and let someone, a man if you're a man, a woman if you're a lady, show you from the word of God, the simple truths of God's word, how you can know for sure heaven's your home. And if you're a child of God, maybe you need to do some business at an altar if you've been living with a spirit of unthankfulness or an attitude of ingratitude. Confess it for what it is, sin. And say, God, with your help, I'm going to see things differently through your eyes now. Father, we love you now. We need you. We'll thank you in Christ's name.